Before opening Bow Street Coffee, Sam worked for Coffee Union, learning how to manage a coffee shop. After a brief stint working a mobile coffee cart in 2007 and a few visits to London, learning about specialty coffee, Sam decided to open up the first specialty coffee shop in Liverpool, which is really good. He now also owns the Buyers Club. Sam, uh, well, I'm reading the next bit now, aren't I? Yeah. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Sam Tell. Woo! <laughs> So that coffee shop, by the way, is, is Bow Street Coffee in, in Liverpool, which is, uh, yeah, I love it. Like, I've only been, like, twice, and it's, like, it's one of those coffee shops I send people all the time. I really, really, really love it. And a lo lovely sense of community in the place. Yeah, yeah, we do. Um, I don't know how to explain that. I just, I, it, uh, coffee Union was, uh, it's on the same site, but it was really badly run. It was, the coffee wasn't that good. But all the people who came in the shop were really cool, like a real diverse range of people. Um, so when it closed, I'd already been looking for sites around Liverpool that I wanted to open a shop. Um, but so as soon as it closed, I just went straight to the landlord. And luckily, it was one of my customers who was like in property. He, he kind of backed me up and went to the landlord and like get him to do it. Um, so the landlord was up for it. Um, so I, I, knew, I knew it had potential because it's just a really good street, loads of good people. Um, yeah, so I, it was more expensive than I thought, you know, it was a big risk, but and I knew because I had a bit of experience there that it, it would work. I think, like, for me, Liverpool's a super interesting city. So you, because Great it's so, football team as well. Uh, nah. Um, because it's so close to Manchester, and there's that real rivalry between the two cities, I feel. There, yeah, there's a bit. Yeah. But and, not, and not just on a football level either, I think it's a, it's a more in-the-ground rivalry than it's, that. Yeah, it's total cultural difference. I mean, Manchester kind of got this coffee scene fairly early, and there's, a, there's, there's quite a few coffee shops in Manchester that are you know, doing a really, really good job. Mm. And you go to Liverpool, and it's, there's much less. You go to Manchester and the bars kind of tend to be doing more, but Liverpool there seems to be less. And I don't understand why, because Liverpool's I a bigger population, isn't it? No, no, Manchester's miles bigger than... You've got Is everything it? wrong oh, there. You're talking about Greater uh, Manchester there, though. No. It's, then we've got to start including um, the, the no. Bootle and all that. Liverpool's like. next to the sea, so you only get half a city. Exactly. It's, like, it's like Dublin. <laughs> Manchester, you get a whole one. Yeah. I, I did a geography degree. That's, that's, that's pretty much all I learned. Um, I didn't go very much. Yeah, he's got a burn to there, Steve. I mean, wh yeah, but why, why Liverpool is a really though? small city, but there is loads of bars, but there's still not many coffee bars. It's a good drinking city. There's just so many bars, and really good bars now as well, a really good scene. Um, but, yeah, there wasn't that much coffee. Um, and there's, there's, still, there's a few more now. There's a couple of little roasters set up, but... Um, I think the people, the, the people there, the, the, the culture is totally different. The people there, it's dead working class. But in Liverpool, they love spending money. You know, they, they, they don't earn much in the week, but they'll just smash it on the weekend. They'll wear <laughs> the best clothes they can afford. Being <laughs> out in Liverpool be, on they, a Friday night, yeah, they, they do it, that. It might not be to everyone's taste, some of the clothes they wear, but they absolutely smash it. So, they, whereas they might, you know, they probably don't go out eating nice food a lot, but they, they will spend loads of money on coffee and they really got into it really fast, especially yeah. like the filler coffees we did. Does it, does they were it very thing, quick to catch on. There's a thing that happens with, with coffee shops where like, 
if they open in a city or a town that doesn't have a lot, like uh, a rich specialty coffee kind of culture, and it doesn't go well, the owners of the place are like, oh, let's just, you know, they're not ready yeah. for it yet. And if it go, if it does go well, then everybody else goes, well, that's because they have the place to themselves, you know? <laughs> so, like, yeah. you, did you see it as a challenge or an opportunity that there was no specialty coffee in Liverpool? Um, definitely an opportunity, but I, I knew that, you know, like, at the time, we opened in 2010, and, like, just, you know, a few years before that, London just started, like, you know, the, there was just loads of shops opening. But I knew it couldn't be as specialist as in London. That there's not enough people who just, you know, drink a certain type of coffee. Or I knew I knew we had to sell a lot of food as well and make it accessible to people and not be not be too fussy or not preach to people what what they should or shouldn't be drinking. Yeah. So I just wanted to make it a fun place to come, you know. So. It's important. Like we, one of the speakers when at the the New York event because we were just in New York, um, was saying that. Uh, that like coffee has got such a big role to play in gentrification and that we need to like think about that as an industry you know and like how how do you like when you open your coffee shop how did you think about the local community and how to involve them and not just to ostracize them and kind of put up a barrier uh, was it like in the, the menu the way you were sell selling stuff or it was, it was some of the things like you always said you know we just did a bacon butty but we just made it nice, you know. It was just—it was, was just a normal bacon butty, but the bread was a bit better. You know? I had one no, was no, amazing. the bacon was I, I, a bit better. No, no, I did a whole presentation on this, Sam, and it wasn't a bit better. It was a lot. He exaggerated. I did not exaggerate. It was delicious it's, bacon it's sandwich. It's a bit better, and it wasn't too expensive. It's, you know, it's just a way of getting people in and, and making it fun. Like we we just played like records in the shop that all the staff like now customers bring us records in because they don't play them anymore so it's it, things like that but at first I didn't I didn't want any gimmicks to it or anything it was just a white room basically and I just wanted to have good coffee but the, the food side of things has really grown like it's sort of half and half now food and coffee it's a big inspiration for me going there because it was like you could see that it was just like I don't know, it wasn't a very pretentious place at all. It was doing exactly, no. it was doing really well, but it's just, it's just a great coffee yeah. shop on a normal street. And the, st the staff have done that, because I was lucky at the beginning, I had like two people who I used to work with who were gonna stick with me, and then a few more people who I'd worked with. So I had, I had like a full set of staff who all believed exactly what I was doing right at the beginning. And they all even like helped paint the shop. And um, so, like I, I have some of the ideas, but they're all a bit younger and a bit cooler. So <laughs> basically, I just harvest their good ideas, and, they, and some of them are dead creative, amazing at art. So one guy just has all the art exhibitions organized. So they like organized for about we have one a month, but it's like about a year and a half waiting list now, because um, uh, he just is into that and so I just let him totally take control of all the artwork and the sort of visual sort of side of the shop. So I've asked everybody else, Liverpool in one sentence. Uh, it's, it's amazing and it's totally not what most people think it is and it's not about the Beatles or football as you know there's so much more to it than that. And I am bigger than the Beatles. Yeah. <laughs> Shall we get another guest up? Sure, why not? Can you read that, Carl? 
Claire is currently the head barista at Brewlove, a quality-focused coffee bar in Edinburgh. After working part-time at Coffee University, her passion for the brew took her in an unexpected direction, and four years later, she's still working with the good stuff. Claire came third at her first outing in the UK Barista Championship this year and connects with the wider European coffee community through her volunteer work with the Barista Guild of Europe, also known as the Euro Guild. Time off bar is spent exploring sensory goodness in other forms, good food and cocktails. Ladies and gentlemen, Miss Claire Wallace. I'm getting really good at that. You do know the Euro Guild isn't going to catch on even though you keep trying to Euro Guild! <laughs> Eurovision pop act. Yeah, seriously, we're gonna look like 80s style t-shirts for Das Euro Guild. It's be amazing. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so Claire, tell us a little bit about Brew Lab um, in Edinburgh. Um, kind of, Edinburgh got a little bit of a scene when Brew Lab opened, but it did not. It had stopped growing, really, hadn't it? Yeah, um, I think for a while Glasgow led the way in terms of specialty coffee bars, and for some reason in the last two years, Edinburgh's exploded. You can't walk two streets without hitting, hitting a specialty coffee shop, which is really good. Uh, and why, why do you think that is? What do you think's kind of made Edinburgh kick off in the way that it has? Because it's certainly something, you know, I've, I've been looking in and seeing happen there. Every time I go back, I mean, I, I go every year, at least once a year to Edinburgh, and it's always more and more places. What, what's the catalyst? I mean, there's probably a lot of factors that go into it. Um, it's a lot smaller than Glasgow, so I suppose everything's kind of more squished together. Um, there's a huge international population in Edinburgh, so I think we get a lot of influence from different countries. Um, people Irish come people, loads of Irish yeah, people. Yeah, tons of Irish people, they're everywhere. Um, <laughs> I think just people come with their ideas and influences from other countries and bring them to Edinburgh, um, and I think that's probably one of the reasons we've got so many different specialty coffee bars popping up. Um, Lots of students in Edinburgh who love a good place to study. Um, so there's probably a, a bunch of factors that have contributed to that. I mean, Edinburgh tends to be a fairly transient population because of that university, because of the tourism and things like that. And I'm guessing a lot of people that come into the shop may not necessarily um, have come across specials coffee before, or you know, you're, and I know that the way that you do things, you particularly put them in a style, so you cut down those barriers. What kind of things do you do to kind of bring customers in? Um, we kind of have a mix. We have a, a customer base who know what they want and know what they like, and they'll specifically ask what they like. And we get a lot of customers, especially during August, during the Fringe Festival, um, who have no idea what specialty coffee's about or have no idea how to read our menu and no idea what washed means. And does this have figs in it? Why does this taste like figs? Um, <laughs> so I think I tried to come down to the customer at their level and see where they're at in terms of their coffee journey and try and guide them through our menu, not in a condescending way, but in a way that's going to get them something that they're going to enjoy. Um, and they might learn something along the way. Um, so it's all about finding something that the customer wants to drink, whether they know it or not when they walk in the door. So like everybody else, Edinburgh, one sentence, describe Edinburgh. Uh, the only city with a massive castle in the middle of it. <laughs> that's a very after, yeah, I like that one. That's my favorite description so far. <laughs> Um, so, um, Northern Nuance, you, you've spent a bit of time up north, Colin. I have. You've, you've been up to, you know, have you been to Liverpool with me, been to Manchester Liverpool a few times? North. Is Liverpool North? No, yeah. is it? Yeah. yeah. Okay, Jeez, yeah. I'm so confused. <laughs> been to Scotland, been to Edinburgh. It's just Stafford that's not north, remember? Yeah. Um, so, kind of what differences have you seen as somebody from the outside when you've been to, like, Bold Street and you've, 
know, you've been to Grindsmith and like, what have you seen that's different to London coffee, that day London coffee shops? Oh, it's a tricky question. Um, I think um, in general, like any of the places that I've visited, like kind of in, in the north of England or in Scotland or in, in, um, in the bit in the middle in England, is, um, and I think it's generally true in places in Ireland as well, is that if there are one or two places that are kind of these specialty cafes to go to, that they tend to be more kind of like, they're almost like a cultural hub for the baristas and the, the kind of the mixologist or the chefs in that city, you know what I mean? So there's like, they become this kind of, they're, they're, the city can only sustain so many of them and the best ones are like a cultural hub. But in London, it seems to be a bit more, like there's lots of great coffee shops that serve great coffee and look great and have great machines, but there's less character in them maybe. That might be a, a, a huge generalization. Um, but like, I think, um, when you find the great place in Manchester or in Liverpool or in Edinburgh, that like it, it tends to be, I don't know, really, Harrogate really and Newcastle as well. And Newcastle as well, yeah. Harrogate. Harrogate, yeah. Harrogate as well, yeah. I don't know, that might be a huge generalization, but I think it's kind of like, because the, the scenes are probably just getting going a bit more, there is more of a, like a, a hope for the specialty coffee community within those shops. But in, um, in London, it's, just, it's a bit more advanced, so it, it kind of lacks that maybe. Claire, what, what, what do you think the nuances of Edinburgh? I know we've talked about, a little bit about it already with the transient community and thing, but what, what, what's the nuances that you find particularly in Edinburgh that like, make coffee, c kind of, you know, places like Brew Lab so different? Um, I mean, we're seeing more and more shops opening up now, um, which is a good thing, but it's also, it's, it's getting harder and harder to be unique. Um, so the thing with Brew Lab was one of the first shops to open up to kind of offer a bigger filter coffee option. And now everyone's doing filter coffee, which is great. Um, but yeah, as more and more shops open, the nuances get more and more similar. Yeah. Um, so it's harder to, harder to stand out, especially in Edinburgh where there's so many of them. Um, so finding something unique is getting more difficult. It's hard to spot things that like make cafes in a city unique sometimes. Yeah. Like, especially when you're looking at them all the time. I like, when I was in Melbourne, I was trying to say this to a guy because he was telling me that all the cafes in Melbourne are the same. And I was like, they're not, they're really diverse. It's just, you know, you see them all the time, so they seem the same. But you've got little things that you do here that we don't do. And he was like, well, like what? And one small example was that when they, they would pour latte art into a paper cup and then they put the lid on it and then give it to a customer. And I'm like, like, we give them the cup, and then we give them a lid, and they do that themselves. He's like, that's crazy. I'm like, it's not really. Like, but it's the small things like that that are just, I don't know, and it's, it's, it's hard to see them in your own city sometimes. Yeah. Do, do you feel there's a difference between the north and the south kind of coffee shops and the way that they present themselves, though? Or do you think that there's more and more kind of like what's happening in Harrogate where people are, you know, taking on the positives of the London coffee scene and bringing them to their shops? Yeah, for sure. Um, a lot of the London shops are very slick. They're very modern. They're very minimalist. Uh, we're seeing that a lot more in Edinburgh, which is... They're normally very small as well. Yeah, they're quite small. Um, Edinburgh shops are also quite small. There's not a lot of space in those little old buildings. Um, but yeah, that's something that's um, coming up more and more. Um, another problem we have is more... I've seen it more in Glasgow than Edinburgh. The cost of living in the north and in Glasgow and Edinburgh is lower than London. So trying to cookie-cutter a London model and put it in Scotland sometimes doesn't work because people have lower expectations of what things are going to cost. Um, so they come in and go, how much for this bag of coffee? Why is, it, why is it so expensive? And that's sometimes hard to communicate 
I don't know if in London that would be easier because cost expectations mm. are perhaps a little bit higher, but that's a challenge that I get a lot from customers, a bit of a pushback in that respect. And it's about engaging them and telling them, well, this is why we do it. We're trying to do something better for numerous amounts of reasons, but that's a pushback we get a lot. And Sam, we've already talked a little bit about uh, Liverpool and it's, you know, the unique things that happen there, but do you see lots of differences between kind of the, you know, London coffee shops and, 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 you know, coffee shops in the north? Do you see people running their businesses in a different way? Um, I, don't, I, I think you do have to be slightly more diverse probably up north. Um, yeah, you can have a bigger space, like, you know, you, you've got like workspace, things like things like that, whereas down south there's enough people, or not down south, in London, you know, there's enough people walking past to have a small shop, really busy, a lot of the time. And do you feel customers' expectations are different coming into a shop in Liverpool than they would be, you know, in a, in a different city? now, we've, we've been open like six and a half years and it's totally changed in that time. So now some of the bags of coffee, they might be like 50, sorry, um, you know, it might be 15 quid for a bag of coffee or something. Um, and if we'd have just gone straight in, in 2010, going, there you go, 15 quid, like, especially in Liverpool, they just tell you to piss off. Like, they don't, <laughs> they, don't, they would know, as well, yeah. In a, in a friend, right, can we have a new yeah. car, please? In a friendly way. So w what we did was, if we <laughs> <laughs> what, we, what we did was have a six pound bag of coffee and then an eight pound bag of coffee and a 10 pound, and, and we'd like ease people in and yeah. fill the coffee was dead cheap at first. And then we, well, just not trick them, but you just make it a little bit more expensive every week, you know. And, trick and them. They don't notice. <laughs> well, no, what you do, you, you have to gain the trust. Once they trust you, you can sell them anything, can't you? Yeah. And, <laughs> in a good way. You know. oh, I'm selling your coffee. So. That, that's your book cover of your life. <laughs> when, they, when you get them to trust you, then you can trick them. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know what I mean. I like yeah. that. No, no. I, I, is there, I understand what you mean, Sam. Is there more owner-operators outside of London? Is that because it's? I know, like in Dublin, like Dublin is a small city, but it's so expensive, and um, it's like the, the it's very, very rare now to see owner-operators opening cafes, let alone restaurants. Like I don't know if that's is it more common outside of London to see that or. <laughs> I, would, I would say so. I mean, um, cause I remember having a discussion with one of my friends who uh, used to work at a roaster in London about how few shops are owner-operator in London. They're quite often funded by, um, I, for lack of a better word, bankers. Just, you know, someone is bankrolling it, but they're not there every day. It's someone has put the money into it and someone else is doing it. But in... In Newcastle, for example, all of the speciality coffee shops I can think of are owner-operated. And, um, yeah, I'd say it was more common anyway. I, I think like, it's, it's interesting. It kind of takes it on to the next part that we're going to talk about. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, you said you've got two part-time staff and yourself. Yeah. I mean, how different has it been for you hiring staff and kind of finding staff in Newcastle? And, and also the, the expectations of a salary of a barista in Newcastle? We'll yeah. With um, it was really strange for me at first because, um, you know, I wanted to be quite... Because I've seen that when you don't follow um, a kind of standardised hiring procedure, things can go very wrong, I think. Um, I've seen that happen. And uh, so I was... I was quite formal with it. Like I put an advertisement out 
And even if I'd met someone and had a good opinion of them and thought, okay, maybe they're a, a, a strong contender, I still didn't see them as a, a shoe-in. I was like, I'm still going to get them into an interview, ask questions, um, and yeah, and then filter out from there. Uh, so I got a bunch of CVs in, narrowed them down, interviewed six. Ended up being old boys. That was the strange thing. I didn't get any... I got two good CVs off girls, but when they're invited to interview, uh, they had reconsidered or made other plans. Um, Newcastle, it is difficult because it is such a small city and um, it's quite incestuous. <laughs> like a lot of people, it's, there just isn't a nicer way of putting it. Um, a lot of people who have, you know, they've gone from shop to shop or, you know, if someone set up a shop, they used to work in another shop. And I made an executive decision when hiring people that I didn't want to hire anyone I'd worked with before. I just wanted a clean slate. Uh, and so I got two guys who, they were fortunately both already trained, at least in espresso. I just had to give them a bit of guidance as regards filter brewing, which is fine, because I love filter brewing. It's my, it's my jam, so <laughs> that was fine. Um, but it was, I don't want to say it was difficult, but I just think it was something I was extremely careful about because I've seen that if you, you know, if you have one wrong person or like a, you know, let's say if you have a really great team and you get in a manager who's not suitable, it can just totally upset the apple cart. Um, yeah, uh, so I didn't want to, you know, I, I hired slowly and carefully. I did the first two months, six days a week, uh, seven o'clock until, seven o'clock in the morning until six o'clock in the evening uh, by myself because I wanted, I wanted to do it that way. I wanted to figure out when the quiet periods were, when the busy periods were, and just, I didn't want to hire just anyone. Even though I had people coming in and saying, oh, well, you just need someone to take the money and clean the tables and do that. I was like, no, I'm not, I don't like, People are people. Like people have feelings and emotions and all sorts of stuff. You can't treat people like they're expendable. It's also anything. a proof of concept as well, isn't it? That he actually proving the concept. Where if somebody else is working there, you're right, you don't see all the times. It could be quiet because they're not giving great service or they've, you know, yeah. closed because they've gone to the bathroom or whatever. And it's like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hopefully that doesn't happen. But it does. We're in this, I've created this really annoying rod for my own back whereby it seems to be busiest when I'm there. And I don't know why. But um, that, that's gradually easing off as people have gotten to know the two boys who are working there as well. I've had the same boys for uh, a year and a bit. And again, staff retention is, is something I'm very big on. Like, you've got to give people a reason to stay. Um, otherwise, they'll go and they'll do something else, maybe something better. Um, you know, and it, it's even worse if you're giving people reasons to leave, you know? Um, yeah, it's, it, it's really strange. I think people is the trickiest part, I was saying before. And even though I've only got two part-time staff, it's something that weighs heavily on my mind. But um, it's, yeah, Newcastle is interesting because there aren't a lot of, especially relative to somewhere like London, there aren't a lot of baristas. Um, but so far it hasn't been a problem. Um, Tim, I want to ask you about um, 
Harrogate, you already touched on, is a difficult place because of the, the you know, the high earning kind of fairly wealthy people finding staff was quite difficult. Right. How did you overcome that? Like in a little bit more detail, like what, what did you do to fix that problem? Well, the challenge with Harrogate as opposed to a city is that you've got the likes of London or, or any regional cities that you've got critical mass, you've got traction, your model can be transaction-led and volume-led, so you don't have to have such a big space because people are just coming through. You can process them. Um, you don't have to need to get to know them. With Harrogate, you have to get to know them. Again, it's a small spa town, so you get to know most people. The challenge, however, is most people coming to Harrogate are either they're coming to retire there, they've made their money there, they've, they're self-made, so money is important to them so they know how to spend it but also very aware of their spend so in terms of getting people to want to work in Harrogate has always been our first challenge and then as we grow you mentioned two members of staff we've jumped from two to 14 and then I'm sure people outside of ourselves who've grown to staff members over 50 plus etc have the same problem of scale and how do you scale whilst presenting to your customers that same proposition that same passion that you would give yourself and that's the biggest challenge that we found in that when my wife and I opened the space, it was, oh, it's that, you know, it's that couple that moved up from London and they did this and they did that and they buy into your story. But as you grow, two things are going to happen. You're either going to be tied to that business and you won't have a life outside of that business or you let go. And you mentioned about being a control freak. Well, most people, I would say, in our space, ah, I'm a control freak. And, you know, it's the nature of why I did it because I wanted to create a space that I would want to spend time in. However, as we grow, I can't be all the things. I can't be the really cool hipster barista, or I can't be my manager, etc. because they're better than me at doing the things that I need to get done. So that's the biggest challenge in a Spartan in Harrogate, because you haven't got all those individuals to, or the resource, if you like. In cities, perhaps, probably Liverpool is an example, as you mentioned, you've perhaps got people coming to your space to study, or even Edinburgh, because people are coming to study there. So they're coming to your spaces to enjoy your coffee, but they're there for four years, say, to study, but they're into your space, so they'll, they'll get your message. So the challenge for us in terms of scale is the how bit. How do we do it and attract people to a small spa town? I suppose the challenge is quality, value proposition, and, and people. Um, it kind of moves nicely on to the next part that we were going to talk about, which is menus and offerings. And, and yours is a fairly unique case that you took this model that you saw kind of working in London and so, yeah. put it in, in, into a, a, small, a small town. Mm. Um, how, how was that received? Did you come up against any... You, talked, you mentioned tea cakes earlier. And, right, you know, right. the, people's expectations are is to go into the said tea room that we do. Of Can course. we call it the Voldemort tea room? <laughs> um, but they go into there and they have their toasted tea cake and they have their pot of tea. Right. And did you have any pushback to taking that? You will, menu? In, in anything you do. Um, in London, the norm for us was uh, vegan food, gluten-free, dairy-free. All these became the norm. So when you now, as a business owner, say you're doing Scandi or donuts or gluten-free that's become trendy, it wasn't trendy to the vegan who has always been a vegan. That's what they've always done. So in terms of your offering to the marketplace, it's about information and education. If someone tastes a cake and goes, well, that's really nice, it's vegan. Oh, you, know, you have to change their perception, surely. And so the challenge for us was the education, informing customers that actually just because it is vegan, for example, doesn't mean it doesn't taste nice. Just because it's gluten-free doesn't mean it doesn't taste nice. So, 
yes, there was pushback. However, and I reiterate that owning the message, you have to be true to yourself. Say you're the Liverpool-inspired space or the Scandi space or the London-inspired space. If we'd have changed our model every month saying, oh, we better do sandwiches because everyone else is doing sandwiches or we better do whatever, then we'd be changing our model to the market and become a tea room because everybody else was doing the same thing. So the point of difference for us, which was really important, was just owning the message and saying we are a London-inspired space. What does that mean in general terms? It means that we've got the flexibility to offer customers vegan food, dairy-free food, etc., and give people the, the option, if you like, to, to taste it. If they didn't like it, then at least they've tried it. And Pete, you kind of, um, you've got a unique set of opportunities, and all of your spaces are quite different spaces to offer your menu and, uh, and offer kind of, you know, the food part of it. How difficult has that been in kind of getting it to fit into the spaces when you've been in the spaces, you know, the offering? Have you had to make any changes? Um, I think the biggest um, challenge for us was, our, was the Media City opening uh, because we'd made the decision that we'd um, done pure coffee, that's, that that was the character of the pod. We don't really like selling cakes in there. We just do it because people like to eat cake. We're like, no, we, we want to talk coffee. Uh, we just want to like, play with coffee. Different machinery in there than anywhere else in the, in the company that, that you know, is the GS3 uh, rather than Black Eagles and all the other shops which are more operational. And then the, for media, it was like um, different because we went, we're going to tackle food. And we want our focus on food to be the same that it was on coffee. Now, the difference was that me and Luke were um, operators, coffee operators, before we started the business. I had done a stint in the kitchen, but I wasn't a talented, and I cook at home, and I like eating food. You know, that, that's how much I knew about running the kitchen. And so that was all down to recruitment. And we spent a long time looking for um, the chef because we knew that that was the make or break because we, we, we need to put another arm to this business because I can't run a kitchen. Um, I can't actually design a kitchen. Um, I could have a go, like, um, you know, and, and one of the very funny things that the chef, we, we put this design together and went out and it, we didn't get the chef in time to design it. That was always the romantic idea. We'll get somebody on board, they'll design it, they'll run it, and then we're like, if we get them on board, we're gonna have to pay them. We don't have the money to pay a chef when we don't have a kitchen for them to make money from, so we'll need to design this. And we did it as best as we could and we, um, we opened and we'd actually put a chest freezer in front of the pass for the food that you open like this. And the chef took one look at it and went, what on earth were you thinking? He's like, yeah, I'll change that for you, chef. Sorry, yeah, we didn't, we didn't see that all the way through. And then, and, and, and the success of that was down to her. So, so when Nick took it on, she brought us a menu, we okayed it, we kind of spent a lot of time testing it. And we're like, this is the right person. She's getting what, what, where we're coming from and she's an expert in her field. And not only she was like that, she whipped up a kitchen um, from like, we're like, we've not bought any pans because I don't know what pans you need. She's like, oh, right, done. Right, was like, you're good at this. Yeah, you're good, you're good at this. Um, and then media opened and we were like, well, if we, we will look back on now and go, oh, that was, that was dead easy. You know, with a, without, and we always have to look back and go, no, it was, it was getting the right people in for, for the right job to make that happen. And then we brought all the foods, like um, if you ever go into Deansgate and you look, have a pot in the pot wash, it's literally a meter by meter space. And we were asking them to prep sandwiches and do events in there and the staff. And, and I, I really was empathetic with them because it was ridiculous. You know, the, the, the market on Deansgate wanted food and we were just ransacked in this tiny space. We were like, we need, so we took all the food operation out to media and now 
um, and it gets cycled down every morning. The guy on Simon arrives in a little trike and he picks it up, seven o'clock. Don't know how he does that every single morning, the consistency of him is, uh, is great. And he cycles it and, and we've, we've managed to get the consistency of product that we wanted and also look at the margins and bring that down and start to feel like actually we're operating as a, as a business here rather than just a little bit of seeing the demand and, and doing it and just saying yes all the time. Actually, we've been a lot more strategic now with it. So. I can't believe that um, like nearly two hours has gone, and like we just 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 scratched the surface of some of this the, some of this stuff. Um, but we kind of gonna gotta go um, kind of go through this quickly. I just want to ask you all like, would you change anything from what you've done? If you can keep to like thirty seconds, and then we can ask the last question before Jen kills me and we get thrown out by security. So. Um, Yef, do you want to do you want to start? Was there anything you would change in general or in not running in, the shop? Not in, not in life, you know. <laughs> All right, sorry. I I, mean, I'd like to end child poverty. <laughs> um, no, no, I mean, no, just. <laughs> I, I think for the shops, probably best. Okay, um, I just thought you meant to general career terms. Um, I would have gotten an EK forty three when I opened. Do you grind a lot of pepper? <laughs> rather than um, whatever the smaller grinder I had when I opened was uh, would I change anything mm. this isn't good video probably not, no sorry that's good, you did it right Sam, is there anything that uh, you would change it is, no, it's really hard to think of anything There's loads of tiny things but nothing socks, underpants yeah, one, one, twice a week maybe, <laughs> but uh, I can't. No, I can't really think of anything. It's just little things as you go along. It's like individual situations, or you know, nothing, nothing major. You do know all these others now are just know. frantically going. I know that's what I was doing. Something to change. Something to change. Something good. Yeah. No, sorry, Claire. <laughs> I mean, I don't own a coffee business. No, but, well, no, but you're heavily involved. Maybe in that's what you like, change. I feel like I wouldn't want to change anything because if, if I change something, then I wouldn't be where I am. I feel like all the things that have happened on my way to being here have made me good at, well, what, I hope I'm good at what I do. <laughs> um, and I think if I changed anything from the past, I wouldn't have learned things that help me now. So no, I wouldn't change it. I think I echo it because I was thinking about this question. Uh, I echo it in terms of it's the mistakes that make you. Um, but if I was really being practical, I would have put shutters on the pod. I would have thought about security. <laughs> I wouldn't have been so naive. I would have looked a bit more into it. How about it. saying no occasionally? Well, I have started <laughs> to. Um, Can I have some money, please? Uh, hey? Can I have some money? <laughs> I'll buy you a pint. Um, <laughs> um, Is that a racist slur? Wait a minute. <laughs> Um, and I think if, if when, I was, when I was starting as well, um, look at your, at your finances. Look at how much exactly is it going to make, um, is it going to take to make this project and always probably double it um, and you'll get close to, to being a little bit less stressed. Um, take on as much advice as possible. And I think I, I took more, I wish I'd spoke to even more people. Um, and, and there was no rush in opening business, but you still think, there's, there's more I could know. Don't, don't think there's a, um, uh, that's what you're always learning. Um, but it's the mistakes that make you. So just say yes. <laughs> uh, briefly, uh, prices. I would have increased our prices. 
very simply. Um, just, we, look, we work in a specialty industry, and uh, therefore our prices should uh, reflect that. I would increase our prices. That was fun. Would you have changed anything? Yeah, I've never gone into business with you. Jeez, <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, I don't know. Um, would I have changed anything? Yeah, I wouldn't have bought the coffees I bought first time. My first palace of coffee was awful. Really? Yeah, Brazil, Santos, Colombian Excel. So uh, China Beauchemin was a highlight. Um, yeah, yeah, it was not good. I've made lots of mistakes on the way. Um, I've enjoyed it. Thank you for having us, Manchester. Please, a huge round of applause for our panel. Awesome. A huge round of applause for our sponsor as well. Keep clapping for Chimbali. Yeah. Chimbali. Gone home. A <laughs> uh, huge round of applause for uh, Jen, who's put this all together this week, as always. And a super well done to Cup North for putting on an amazing show. And everybody should come back tomorrow. Thank you very much. Yeah. And, and the good teams at, at Tentacle oh, Beat as well. Yeah. Thank you, Tentacle Boys, filming everything. So, yes. Um, where, thank are we, you. where are we going next? Do we, do we know where we're going next? It's, oh, it's a, a secret. secret. Stop asking. It's a secret. Uh, so, yeah. Thank you very much. Enjoy your night. And uh, we'll see you all tomorrow. No, we won't. But you'll see you all tomorrow. <laughs> Bye.